Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab and Bulldog Nation is rejoicing on this Friday night. Brian Harmon has staked himself to a five-shot lead over Tommy Fleetwood after two rounds of the 151st Open Championship. Harmon sits at 10 under 132. Coincidentally, Rex, that 132 mark is the exact same score that Tiger Woods shot in 2006 on his way to victory here at Royal Liverpool, as well as Roy McRoy back in 2014. I know you wrote a little ditty on Harmon on Friday night for GolfChannel.com, but here's a stat for you, courtesy of our friend Jack Ryan at the PGA Tour. Harmon is the ninth player in the last 40 years to hold a 36-hole lead of at least five shots in a major championship. The previous eight, they all went on to win. And so a single question for you, is this thing over at the halfway mark? No, no, it's not over. I was just sitting here thinking to myself, you uh, are a University of Georgia homer, as you can tell by the hat you have on. I'm sli- sitting by you, sitting by Mark Schleyball, who again is a University of Georgia homer. And Jack Ryan, that's the second shout out he gets another University of Georgia homer. So it's going to be a tough weekend for me all the way around. I'm going to go ahead and say this. If he does win, and there aren't many first when it comes to the Clara Jug. Like people have, have drank all manner of liquids out of that thing. But do you think Uga has ever drank out of Clara Jug? Can you imagine how cool that would be? Uh, he, I can't imagine that he ever would have had occasion to. I'm not sure that Uga wants to be downing uh, Bud Heavy, which Just I'm water. sure is Brian Harmus. Brian Harmus drink of choice. Heavy. Uh, we'll have to fast forward 48 hours to see if that actually comes to fruition. When you look at this list, Rex, of the previous eight players who went on to win after having staked themselves to such a large lead, we're talking Scotty Scheffler at the 2022 Masters, Brooks Kepka 2019 PGA, Spieth 2015 Masters, uh, Roy McIlroy back in 2011, uh, Tiger Woods, Nick Price, players of that ilk. Brian Harmon, a very nice player, a top 50 player. In the world, two-time PGA Tour winner, uh, but has really only been in major contention once. Back in 2017, he held the 54-hole lead at Aaron Hills, uh, ended up tying for second here. Make the case. Why can Brian Harmon win this Open Championship, and why can he not, or why will he not? Um, Okay, so that one, I'm going to go with why he will first. I think when you look at where he's at in his game, I had a chance to talk with his swing coach, Justin Parsons, this afternoon, and he's an old-school guy. I mean, he's very much a field player. In theory, he plays, I mean, when you look at the way he likes to play the game, he likes to play golf shot, not golf swing or golf theory. He's going to go out there. He's going to see the shot. He should love this type of golf. That hasn't been the case up until last year. He didn't have a top 10 in the Open Championship. He hadn't played particularly well on league's courses. Something clicked on Friday last year at St. Andrews, and he got his first top 10. Certainly he's playing well this time around. He played well last week at the Scottish Open. So I think he has a lot of momentum on his side. You look at the way he's been playing on the PGA Tour. The last three starts haven't been outside the top 15. Justin Parsons said he's swinging in as well now as he ever has. All that being said – it's hard for me to imagine how he gets it done. It, it would be entirely different for a lot of different hard reasons. Hard to imagine. Obviously. He's up by five, Rex. How can you not imagine him getting it done? If we were having this conversation tomorrow night, my degree of confidence would be through the roof that he was going to get it done, again, by five strokes. I think over the course of a weekend of Lynx golf with the forecast that we have, I just walked home in the rain and the wind, <laughs> and it's just going to be more of that over the course of the weekend. I think you end up with larger swings, and, and you sort of – 
picked up on that in what Rory said. Rory's nine strokes back, and he sounded like a very confident man, not a man that was nine strokes back. And I think it has everything to do with the idea that he knows better than anyone that one or two holes of Lynx golf can do away with a nine-shot lead or whatever the case may be really, really quickly. I, I can sit here and make that argument. I can make the argument that, yes, he's playing well. Yes, he seems to have discovered something on Lynx golf. But I just think the players behind him are going to make it so hard for him. And he's never done it before in a major. He admitted. You pointed out that 2017 U.S. Open. Got out of his head. Got ahead of himself. Started thinking about Uga drinking out of the U.S. Open trophy. Whatever the case may be. And consequently, he fell apart. It's going to be a struggle for him. The case for, I mean, he's, he's clearly been trending as we headed into the year's final major case four would involve him driving it so well as he has for the first 36 holes. He's uh, hit it in just one bunker. Obviously that'll be a key for success would be avoiding any sort of unforced errors, avoiding any double bogeys. It's kind of letting the field uh, have a little bit of confidence. The case against, and it sounds, it sounds, sounds kind of counterintuitive. The fact that he's actually made 264 feet worth of putts over the first two days, I actually think that's a negative. That is that is unsustainable. I, I promise, Rex, if Brian Harmon makes another 264 feet worth of putts over the weekend, he will win this golf tournament, not by five shots, uh, but by significantly more than that. You would think some sort of market correction is in order. That's not to say that he won't continue to putt well. He's a, he's a very good putter, um, and he, he wields that very large flat stick uh, exceedingly well. Uh, but but tension does strange things to players on major championship weekends, and it would not surprise if his putter went a little bit colder than it certainly has over the first couple of days here. I would actually spin that back on you with you saying that the players coming from behind will make it difficult for him. I actually think that's working in his favor. Who behind him right now is he afraid of? Is it Tommy Fleetwood, who, yes, has mm-hmm. been playing uh, you know, better of late, as well, but does not have a victory on the PGA Tour. Is it Sepp Straka, uh, who was going to be sniffing major contention for the very first time in his career? Is it Minwoo Lee? Probably. It, it probably is Minwoo Lee. He seems to have a kind of that it factor and seems ready to take that next level. But but like, look at the the, the players who are behind him. He has he has he has ten players within eight shots of his lead. Only three of them have won PGA Tour events, and only two of them have won major championships in Jordan Spieth and Jason Day, and both of those were six-some-odd years ago. Like, he doesn't have a whole lot of scary threats coming behind him halfway home. That's a really nice way for you to say you don't like the leaderboard right now. So just come out and say it. You know, what? on the podcast on Thursday, I said, said, look, this was kind of a sleepy day one. I'm optimistic. You had Spieth, you had Scotty, you had Brooks, uh, you had Rory. Uh, you had Cam Smith all there. I said, look, this thing, this thing might be ugly right now, but I have a feeling after 36 holes, it's going to look a whole lot better. Wrongo. It did not happen. It actually looks much worse. Uh, it doesn't look great. And I guess my comeback to that is if you look at the last two winners of the Open Championship here at Hoy Lake, they've been world number one. It's been Tiger Woods. It's been Rory McIlroy. It, this is kind of like an Elvis thing. I mean, you get paid for the attempt. No one said it has to be good. And in this particular case, maybe this is going to be the outlier. And I'm not even 
like I'm not sitting here saying that Brian Hardman wouldn't be a good champion or Minwoo Lee wouldn't be a good champion. They're still if if it, they if they're identified as the best golfer this week, then they get to take the Claire Jug home and, and celebrate as the champion golfer of the year. It's just not going to be one of those opens that we remember the last two times it was here. And maybe that's just where we're at. I'm also going to point out, you, you pointed out the stat. He's only hit into one fairway bunker. Probably the only other stat that I would point out, he died in my three putt. That to me, in my mind, are the two most, I can't come up with two more open stats than that. If, if you're going to point to something and go, how do you have success on Lynx golf in those conditions? Those are the two things that come to mind. I think I brought it up yesterday on the podcast. That's Tiger Woods' old formula. Avoid double bogeys, avoid the bunkers, and avoid three putts. Yeah. So far, at least at this point, Brian Harmon has done that exceptionally well. You brought up Roy McIlroy, shot uh, one under today. He's one under for the tournament. Uh, He only has 10 guys to beat over the weekend. We've kind uh, kind of dissected the pedigree. He sounded reasonably confident that he could make up this deficit. He really liked the way he was playing. He liked the patience that he'd exhibited over the first 36 holes. Do you think he's talking himself into contention, or do you actually think he has a reason to feel pretty good at this point? No, I think he has a reason to feel pretty good for all the reasons we just pointed out. Because for Brian Harmon to continue this pace, if he does make 296 feet of putts over the weekend and he wins by six shots, then man, hats off. Like, like way to way to go. I think where Rory's coming from on this, and this is probably – some of those mental gymnastics that we've talked about that he's had to sort of come around to over the last really decade since he won a major championship. What's he going to do? What's the alternative to tell himself that, no, I, I got, I have to do something special on Saturday and something special on Sunday. Cause we all know that that's not going to turn out well. Maybe he shoots a 65 on Saturday, but that turns into a 75 on Sunday. You can't come out on this golf course in these conditions and press and expect to, to make up nine shots in the blink of a hat uh, in the blink of an eye. It's not going to happen. So I think it's the only option for him. I do think, uh, I mean, he just won last week. He won in very dramatic fashion. We we've gone over this. So I think he's happy with where his game is right now. I think he's happy with the idea that he's being patient, that he's not forcing things. And I think it's easy for him to talk himself into the idea that, okay, nine strokes is not insurmountable. That being said, he's going to need some help. And he's going to have to play better than what he's played the first two rounds. Yeah, he needs to be a little bit crisper with his iron play. That has at times cost him, uh, and that'll be uh, paramount to give himself as many birdie opportunities, good, good realistic birdie opportunities as possible to close what right now is a nine-shot deficit. I'm a little bit confused, Rex, because I keep hearing about this forecast and how things are going to turn on Saturday. Let me read this forecast. This is the latest oh. up-to-date forecast that we read. have. Overview. Cloudy with outbreaks of light to moderate rain, chance of drier spells at times. The wind's actually going to decrease from 15 to 19 miles per hour to 9 to 12. Like, what are we doing here? That is, those, those are not hellacious open conditions. Those are not conditions that could blow the, the final groups off track. That's not going to scare anybody to, to think that all of a sudden, Brian Harmon can't go out there and shoot a 68 or 69 and potentially put this golf tournament away uh, is, is a little bit ridiculous. If he shoots 68 or 69 on Saturday in the third round, again, not an unrealistic expectation for a player who's clearly in good form at this point with conditions that are not going to be all that treacherous. Like we could be looking at a, we could be looking at a weekend snooze, but that, that forecast doesn't, doesn't scare me. I'm not sure why we're 
putting so much attention to this on TV? I think you go back to what Martin Slumber said earlier this week. He said the weekend forecast called for two types of conditions, wet and very wet. And so we're going to end up one way or the other. It's going to be challenging. You're right. I don't think players particularly mind. very wet or wet. I, I don't think players uh, take it from someone who just really just like it was misting earlier this week when you and I did the hit. Anna, <laughs> shout out to you. Yes, we were standing in the mist. You guys misting. go look what the mist looks like. We, we put some pictures of that on social media. By all means, go look at the misting. We did. We, we did get some confirmation. It. Did we not today on Friday, Rex, that uh, we're supposed yeah, to we we're supposed yeah, we to wear clarity. rain jackets. We're supposed to have umbrellas. You're still going to wear a ridiculous full suit. Uh, during Golf Central because it is a, quote, news show. Uh, but I will, I will carry that one uh, to my deathbed that I, that, I, that I believe that it looks ridiculous on television. Have we brought that up on the podcast before? That oh, you don't yeah. like me wearing a suit when I'm, when I'm in the yes. studio at home? Looks, looks and, like and I've a told buffoon. you this. Nothing personal. You, Great suits. I'm sure there I mean, are you want to know what it looks like. A buffoon is, is uh, as I'm wearing uh, basketball shorts on underneath those shoots. That, that's me looking. <laughs> that's what looks like a buffoon. That's the silly part about all this. I, I, I will say, like, it's twofold. One, playing in the rain is fine. They do this all the time. It's an outdoor sport. They're used to it. Playing in the wind is fine. It's an outdoor sport. They do it all the time. Doing both, that's when it gets very, very challenging. And you're right. 12 miles an hour is not particularly difficult. But you combine that with now my golf clubs are wet. Now I'm cold. Now I'm having to deal with all these other things. It's not going to be easy conditions. I will say that. Uh, it's not going to be easy, no, but I think players, uh, certainly of this caliber, would prefer a little bit of rain as opposed to a little bit of wind. Yes, you could potentially get a little bit of friction with water on the club face and then it squirts any which way, uh, but unpredictable wind uh, is, is terrible for not just us, uh, but the best players in the world as well. I saw the Sasha's figure. Go ahead. That's right. Now, I'm going to set you up. So we're, I think we're 10 minutes into the podcast right now, so I'm going to go ahead and just trigger it right now. You wrote about, I don't know what. <laughs> 40,000 words today on Justin Thomas. We did a lot on that. We did a lot on Justin Thomas tonight on Live From. Please go check that out. But check out your column. But I, I need to get to the heart of it. You spent three hours. You don't spend three hours working on anything. So I got to get to the meat of it. Justin Thomas missed the cut by a mile. He talked to the media uh, for a surprisingly long time. And the part that gets me is you took a deep dive. What, what was your take? Full respect, first of all, to Justin Thomas. He talked to us not just after his 81 at the U.S. Open where he described himself as both uh, embarrassed and humiliated, but then he faced the music today after shooting even par. I think he was like T-138 out of the 156-man field. So uh, tip of the cap, uh, Rex, you've disappeared. Uh, that is perfectly okay. Uh, I, I will say this is the first time in Justin Thomas's career that he has struggled. And I found that to be just a little bit of a jarring experience. He's, he has, he's never gone a full year without winning. He's never recorded fewer than seven top tens in a season. Uh, he's never finished worse besides his rookie year, uh, worse than 12th uh, in the FedEx Cup. And yet he finds himself now in a position where he's actually adding tournament starts to his schedule. He's uh, committed to play next week's 3M Open. Uh, in Minnesota for the first time in his career. Currently, right now, he's projected 75th uh, in the FedEx Cup standings, would not qualify for the first playoff event. And so there's a lot of complications that I dove into with this first prolonged slump. It's not just the playoff eligibility and what that could potentially mean 
for qualifying for the designated events next year, whether he's top 30 in the world, potentially needs a sponsor exemption. There's also the Ryder Cup picture and where he falls in there. Zach Johnson talked extensively, almost seemed to give JT a vote of confidence. It seems like if he could just show any sort of form over the next couple of weeks heading into the playoffs, that, yeah, it would still merit serious consideration for a captain's pick just based on his experience in the Ryder Cup and what he means in that team room. But I also kind of dove into the, the human element as well, Rex. And, and, you, and I, you and I talked about this today in the media center. When, when things are going great with this relationship where your dad is also your swing coach, like I can't imagine a more fulfilling experience, a more satisfying thing for a father and son to enjoy than being at the absolute height of the profession. Mike Thomas is a lifelong club pro, and he's his only pupil now is one of the very best players on the planet. Like that has to be insanely cool. On the opposite end of the spectrum is I can't imagine a worse scenario for a student coach parent child relationship than having a prolonged slump. The the irritation, the frustration, the anxiety, the bickering, the silence the traveling throughout the world together. Um, it's, it's impossible to think that the friction that they're experiencing on the range and inside the ropes will not carry over to their family life outside the ropes. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, that's something that can't be ignored. And there's kind of a human element to this, um, which, which is deeper than just a guy who's not playing very good golf right now. So, and again, I, I kind of exaggerate. Please go check out GolfChannel.com. You spend a lot of time working on this, and, and I know it's a very, very good column. The gist of it, though, it, it is interesting. You brought up Zach Johnson, we, and we've talked about this the last probably three days in the media center. And it's amazing sort of the arc of, I guess there was one person in the media saying that JT is completely out of the Ryder Cup conversation. I think that's ridiculous. I think it, there's still a lot of things that, that are going to happen. But in the immediacy of now, does he make that team? I mean, in your mind, should he make that team is probably a better question. Right now, I would still pick him for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Why? I absolutely would pick him for the Ryder Cup team. I think there are certain intangibles that he brings. You think about his record in the Ryder Cup. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. He's 16-5-3. and three. Like, that winning percentage is so much better than any other American player and if you put him with a partner, it could potentially alleviate some of the, the pressure that he feels to perform in a solo act. He's obviously had a ton of success with Jordan Spieth uh, in both of those formats. I think he's, he's just such a, vital, he's such a vital presence. I mean, he's, he's essentially the American version of Poulter, only he's, only he's a world-class player. Like, he's a better player than Poulter could ever have dreamed of being. And so I, I know he's in the worst slump of his career. I know he's missed four of his last six cuts. I know he might not potentially play in the playoffs, but I still trust him to perform when it matters most over some of the other options that captain Zach Johnson is going to have. And I think at this point, Zach Johnson probably agrees with me. It seems like he does like listening to his comments today. I, I will say this. So let's run through it real quick. And, and I don't want to bog this down because this shouldn't be a Ryder cup conversation, but right now the U S standings are Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brooks Koepka, Xander Schauffele, Patrick Cantlay, and Max Homa. That's the top six. Those would be the automatic Those qualifiers. Those are locks. Those would be locks. Spieth is a lot. Uh, Spieth is a lot. Uh, well, then, then you a go. Lock. 
then you go the next. So then it goes Keegan, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Cameron Young, Sam Burns, and Ricky Fowler rounds out the top 12. All really good players. I mean, specifically, you look at Cam Young. He, he actually played decent today. He hasn't been playing great the last. Justin Thomas is 13th. I, I don't think – if all things are equal and Jack Johnson's making this decision today – I think you're 100% correct. I, I think you look at what he's done for the team. You look at the way he would fit into that team room. You look at the natural pairing he has with Jordan Spieth and others in that team room. It's an easy pick. I guess my only question is what happens, and it almost seems inevitable unless he finds something next week in Minnesota, what happens when he slips to 14 or 15 or 16? And now all of a sudden you're jumping over players that might be playing well right now. And, and I guess I'm not making an argument against him. I, I guess I'm trying to figure out exactly how Zach is going to justify this when the time comes, because it seems like that's inevitable. Oh, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to have to justify it because there's a very real possibility, Rex, that Justin Thomas, let's say he doesn't qualify for the playoffs. Zach Johnson's going to be picking a guy who is sitting at home during the PJ Tour postseason. That he was not among the top 70 players on the PJ Tour that season. The optics of that are terrible. But, but again, listening to Zach today, listening to Zach in the past, he's going to continue to lean on past experience, what it means, what his record is, how invaluable that sort of experience is playing overseas. I can certainly see him uh, making that justification, not just on form, uh, but kind of that championship pedigree as well. I, I think when you sit here on July 21st, you have to feel pretty good if you're a European Ryder Cup fan, do you not? Right now, you look at some of the Europeans who are trending in the right direction, and you look at the Americans outside of a Scotty, Wyndham Clark, and Brooks Koepka. Like, do you feel great about any of them at the moment? Xander, my, my pick for player of the year, has not won this year. Patrick Cantley hasn't won. Max Homa, this is the first uh, major championship in which he seemingly played well. Keegan hasn't been in that Um Cauldron in, what, 11 years? Uh, Kyle Morikawa hasn't won in two years now. Cam Young, you kind of detailed his struggles, although Sam Burns won the match play this year. Uh, he hasn't really performed in the major championships as well. Tony Finau missed another cut uh, at the Open. He's really struggled this summer. Like You feel pretty good about eight of those guys, and then I think they, they almost have more questions on the back end than, than, than Europe does. You know, you if you slide in a, a Robert McIntyre, you slide in a Ludwig Aberg, you slide in the Hogard twins, like all of a sudden that back hat, Sepp Straka, who's once again in the next year through 36 holes at the Open Championship, all of a sudden that back end of the European side, which is supposed to kind of be their, their, their wild card, all of a sudden that's looking better, a little bit more predictable than the Americans. Uh, I think you're being a prisoner of the moment right now and and i'm gonna take it a step further i you clearly did not qualification see qualification ends in one month you did not see hatton finish up today on the 18th hole when he pumped not oh, i one, saw but him, I saw, him shot, I saw him shotgunning the out of bounds stakes i saw it uh, yeah that was brilliant so he pumps not one but two tee shots out of bounds on the right hand side it's easy to do people have done it but then we were watching it on video, and he did like the quintessential thing that all golfers do. He could not have hit that third tee shot further left. He almost hit the media tent. And I mean, that's got to be 300 yards in the wrong direction. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick missed the cut. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood right there in the hunt. I'm kind of going down their world list right now. Don't know that Shane Lowry's 
playing all that great right now. You just so, say Tommy I, Fleetwood I think, missed the cut. Tommy Fleetwood's in second place. No, I said Tommy Fleetwood's right there in the hunt is what I said. Oh, hunt. I thought you said not cut. Hunt. But like Victor, Hov- Victor Hovland's played played great during the during the majors so far this year. It's uh, hard for me to see that after those 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 things that they make him wear. Come on, do better. God, do why better. are they why torturing do you him, him like, like this? Good God. Are they trying to embarrass him? I feel like they're trying uh, to embarrass him. He's I the mean, most understated, quiet, polite, kind character, and you're putting him in just these gaudy outfits. Like, what are we doing here? Also, that's uh, JL is the uh, apparel outfitter for the Amer- American, American Olympic team. Olympic team, uh, yes. Yeah, check, check back in 13 months uh, to see what your favorite Americans are, are wearing. I, I, I don't know, Rex. Like, right, right now, I think, I think people would be up in arms if Justin Thomas made that U.S. Ryder Cup team based on the way he's way he's playing right now, but like I would put him on the team. I would put him on the team, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. I really wouldn't. I I, I don't think it's a problem. And again, I don't want to get bogged down with the Ryder Cup conversation on Friday night at the Open Championship. I, I don't think it's a problem right now. That kind of is a testament, right, to the leaderboard. That what did you guys talk about? Well, we talked about the Ryder Cup. Um, well, I, I, wrote, I, I wrote I wrote seventeen hundred words on Justin Thomas, and that's kind of a, one of the key hooks to yeah. it, at least. I wrote nine hundred on Brian Harmon because I feel like it's important to cover the tournament you're at. I I, I will say this: I, I don't think it's a problem right now, as I pointed out. At thirteenth on that list, you can make a really good argument for a lot of different reasons. Two months from now, when he makes that pick, if he has slid to sixteenth and done absolutely nothing and not made the playoffs and not played it a month, that's going to be a problem. Uh, it, it is. I'm I'm glad that I wouldn't be be doing that press conference, uh, but I I would also understand it. Uh, and you would think at the 3M Open, not going to be the strongest field. The Wyndham Championship, it's going to be a lot of guys in that 60, 60 to 130 range who are trying desperately to either improve their status, get inside the playoffs, try and hop inside the top 50, whatever the case may be. Uh, JT should, should, should be able to uh, play some good golf as he did at the Travelers Championship just a couple of weeks ago. All right, we've got a little bit deep on this midi pod, but that's okay because they're teeing off at 3.30 p.m. local time on Saturday. Sleeping in. I'm going to go be getting going down to local Morrison's and getting uh, 30 pounds of uh, chocolates uh, for my lovely wife. What's one thing, Rex, you are most looking forward to seeing Saturday at the open, give people a reason besides this, besides this uh, leaderboard, give them something, give them a reason to be excited. I think we're going to see open golf. I, I think we're going to be entertained, maybe not so much by the names. It doesn't look like, like the top players are going to deliver like we've seen here before. But I think what we're going to end up with is sort of what makes the open so special is you have guys battling the elements, battling this golf course, battling this sort of unique brand of golf. That's going to be the entertaining part. Uh, for me, it is Jordan Spieth. He's the player. Uh, Roy McIlroy obviously has his success in the Open Championship, but Jordan Spieth is one shot better through 36 holes. Came home in 39. Kind of took a little bit of steam out of what it could have been a very juicy subplot there. If you're a Jordan Spieth fan, you, I think you have to feel pretty good that he is Hi. actually in this position to see. inside the top 10 at the year's final major without his best stuff to this point. Like he's outside the top 40. Uh, strokes gained off the tee and putting uh, hasn't even uh, been particularly sharp around the greens. And so I think there's plenty of room for improvement 
and plenty of reasons why Jordan Spieth, with his creativity, with his imagination, with his shot-making ability, uh, wouldn't surprise me if he cuts into that deficit Saturday at Royal Liverpool. Whatever happens, we'll be back here on the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab to break it all down. Make sure you go to golfchannel.com. All of our news, features, analysis, commentary, uh, whatever I'm missing along that. Make sure you check out Rex for his final appearance live from the Open Championship. See what ridiculous things he and T. Lee are going to say on Saturday night. Who knows? Could be. Depends on what you say. Uh, But we do thank you guys for listening once again to this mini pod. We'll see you on Saturday. We'll be sleeping in and getting lots of chocolate. What happened to his face? <laughs> <laughs>